Again, that's Acts uh, chapter 4, starting with verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which, meant, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came, in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, so today, Minister Taylor, who is our youth minister, uh, will be preaching uh, on this passage, and his sermon is titled, The Church is Warned. Before we turn our time over to him, I just want to remind you that after the sermon, we'll be uh, transitioning into a time of virtual communion together. Um, so you want to gather your um, communion elements if you'll be partaking, um, the ones that you picked up from church, and also prepare a second device. Um, if you're watching on a computer, you might want to join via a phone or, uh, I'm sorry, if you're watching on a TV, you might want to join via a phone or your laptop or a computer um, because we'll be watching the communion proceedings led by Jeff, uh, Minister Jeff and Minister Cola on the Vimeo live stream while opening a separate uh, um, window or using our phones to join a Zoom call uh, where we'll be seeing each other's faces. Um, do not close your Vimeo browser. Leave your Vimeo browser open and we'll be watching that together um, and also seeing everybody in the little squares on Zoom.
when you join the Zoom, please uh, stay muted because the uh, because Minister Jeff and Minister Cole will be talking, and so we want to hear their instructions as well. Um, if you are not partaking in uh, the communion elements this morning, you can still join the Zoom call. It's fine. Um, it will just be just like church when we're in person. Uh, when the elements pass, you just let them pass, and then um, you can still join in uh, listening to the communion reflection song and meditating uh, while uh, we partake. Um, and I think that's it for those instructions. Again, uh, Minister Jeff will explain a little bit more in the video, but I just want to warn you to get your other device ready. If you're going to be using another device, there'll be a QR code that you can just take a picture of and the Zoom will pop up. Um, or, I mean, and do not close your Vimeo. You need that <laughs> to hear the worship song and to hear the instructions. Okay, uh, with all of that, let's turn our time over to Minister Taylor. What does it mean to belong to a church? What is a church community and what is your and I's responsibility in that community? I know many people here at Crossbridge or at CBCGB who take being a part of a church community very seriously. People who have been a member of our church for 20 or 30 years and suck with the church for that long through all the ups and through all the downs. For many of us, being a part of a church community is a lot like being a part of a family. You know, you're, you're together through so many different stages of life, through so many different milestones, through the good things, and then also through the difficult and the hard things. And we're there and we're together with one another. Sometimes we may experience hurt and disappointment, but in the end, we still persevere on because it's, it's almost like we're a family. Uh, we're, we're committed to one another. Now, unfortunately, that hasn't been everyone's experience in the church. Uh, maybe the hurt from the church has been too great to overcome, uh, or maybe it's an inaccurate view of what church community would be. But what should church community be? What, what, what should church community look like? Well, Crossbridge, we've been going through uh, on Sundays, going through the book of Acts, and I think God is teaching us more about what that church community, what our church community should look like. Now, of course, there are many things in the book of Acts that are merely descriptive, meaning that it's just a description of what the early church was like. But in many other cases, there are instances where it is prescriptive, uh, meaning that Yes, it was what the church was like, but it's also giving us a model for how even our church should be like today. Now, our passage that we're looking at this morning kind of falls or borrows aspects from both being descriptive and prescriptive. Some of the details are probably a little bit more descriptive, meaning that's how the church fulfilled those things. But the heart behind them, the principles behind those specific descriptions are prescriptive for us today. And so let's let's look at the text, and uh, it's important to note that really the context starts in chapter 4 and verse 31, where it talks about all the people being filled with the Holy Spirit, or all the believers being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, they continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. 
But then it goes on in the the next section, starting in verse 32, and speaks more about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or more about the result or the fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, It says that people were of the same heart and soul. They were unified. It talks about how they were caring for one another's physical needs. And you even have the example of Barnabas, who sold a piece of property and gave all the money for the property for the church to to care and distribute for those in need. Uh, And and so the church community uh, was very strong. It was a really, not even just that it was strong, but really it was a fulfillment of the sort of new covenant promise of what the community of the people of God would look like. You know, God is dwelling with the people. You know, at first it was Jesus had came and that uh, Jesus was God in the flesh and dwelling with the people. But now Jesus has gone, but he sent the Holy Spirit, which is still that representation or really is still God himself being present among the people. And so the early church was experiencing this new covenant promise of the church community. But we can remember that though they were experiencing this promise, this fulfillment of the new covenant community, that there were still some challenges. Last time we looked at some challenges from the outside where Peter and John were uh, basically put on trial for spreading the gospel and for healing the beggar. And today we're going to see also where there are actually challenges to the church from the inside. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, many of us are probably familiar with Ananias and Sapphira and their story. Many of us probably have even struggled with the text a little bit, uh, understanding why what happened, in fact, happened. We may think that the punishment for their sin was too severe. Um, It's a pretty difficult text for us to grasp, but it's important to remember that the story of Ananias and Sapphira was set in the context of this sort of new covenant community, of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and this special thing that was going on in this church community. And so let's let's look at the, the story now of Ananias and Sapphira. So in Acts chapter 5, and I'm just going to look at the first five verses, uh, we learn about Ananias. It says, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this, this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. So we learn about Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and they sell a piece of property. And then it should remind us of Barnabas, just in the last section, who, who sold a piece of property and gave all the proceeds to the apostles or gave all the proceeds to the church. Uh, 
And so Ananias and Sapphira also sell a piece of property, but rather than giving all the proceeds to the church, they only give a part of the proceeds. Now, the issue is not that they gave only a part of the proceeds. Uh, Peter actually makes very clear in verse 4 that the property was theirs to do with whatever they wanted with. But the issue is that the couple acted as if they were giving all of the proceeds. And so Peter confronts Ananias for his sin. Uh, And again, remember that the sin is not that Ananias and Sapphira were greedy. It was not that they held back money for themselves. But the issue was that they, they were lying and that they were acting as if they were giving all that they had. And so Peter confronts Ananias in the sin. Uh, and, you know, basically Peter just explains uh, the sin to him, explains what he's done wrong. And then Ananias drops dead. And then he's, he's carried out. And then a few hours later, then Peter addresses Sapphira. That's what we see in verses 7 through 10. It says, After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When Peter addresses Sapphira, he gives her the option to recant, to actually say and turn the lie around and tell the truth. Uh, He he says, um, tell me whether you sold the land for so much, uh, giving her this chance. But then rather than coming clean, she persists in the lie and says, yes, for so much. And so the same thing happens with Sapphira as happened with with Ananias. Peter explains her sin, and then she falls down dead. After reading this account, you may be wondering, what exactly was their sin in the first place? And why was their sin so severe that God would immediately strike them down, that they would immediately die because of their sin? Now, the first question, was there sin that they did not give all their money to the apostles? Or you may ask, was was there sin that they did not give all their money to the apostles? Remember in in verse 4, Peter makes it very clear that the property was at their disposal. They did not have any obligation to give the money or to use the property for the church. It it was their own. They they had the right to do with it what they wanted. There was no obligation. And so their sin, again, was not greed. The, the couple's sin was not that they did not give all the money. And so the next question then would lead to, so was their sin lying? Was it because that they lied that they were struck down? And then, of course, we may wonder, uh, I've lied sometimes. Is that going to happen to me? Or maybe we would think that it's too severe of a punishment because uh, of that. Now, I think lying gets a little bit closer to the heart of the issue, uh, but there is still something deeper than just lying. Remember the context of this passage, the context of Ananias and Sapphira is the new covenant community and is a new covenant community where the, the Holy Spirit is being poured out and the Holy Spirit, God himself, is indwelling the believers. 
But Ananias and Sapphira are set up as a clear contrast to the rest of the Christians. The church was filled with the Holy Spirit, but Ananias and Sapphira were not filled with the Holy Spirit, but in fact were filled with the devil, were filled with Satan. Satan has filled their heart, and that's the result. That, that, that's why they came forward and they lied. Their being filled by Satan and lying within the spirit-filled community points to a greater issue than simply lying. Their sin was not merely an individual sin of lying, but what was so bad about this, what was so severe about it, was that they brought sin into this new covenant community. That is kind of why Peter says in verse 3 that they lied to the Holy Spirit, verse 4 that they, they lied to God, which also points to the Holy Spirit himself being God. Uh, And then in verse 9 says that they are testing the Spirit of God. And so so again, the the issue or the severity of Ananias' and Sapphira' sin was not that they were greedy. Uh, In fact, greed has nothing to do with it. And it's something a little bit more than simply lying as well. Uh, But it was bringing sin into this new covenant community. Now, we, we may see in verse 9 and, and hear uh, that, that they were testing the Spirit of the Lord. And if we know our Old Testaments well, that may remind us of many instances in the Old Testament where Israel was said to test the Spirit of the Lord, or that Israel was said to test the Lord. Uh, so there are many different instances where Israel tests the Lord, But there are a few maybe that relate even a little bit closer to this passage. You may remember Achan in Joshua 7, that after the conquest of Jericho, Achan kept back some of the spoils of war for himself. Now, the issue of Achan keeping back some of these spoils of war was that God had commanded Israel that all the spoils of war from Jericho were to be burnt offerings, that they were not to keep any of the spoils of war. But Achan secretly uh, kept for himself some silver and gold. And so, as a consequence of Achan keeping some of this silver and gold, Joshua 7, it actually says that the whole community of Israel sinned against God, even though it was just the, the one individual who committed the sin. And so, because of this sin, because of Achan's sin, Israel lost the battle at Ai, And then Joshua, who was the the leader in Israel at that time, comes before God and pleads with God, asking, why did we lose the battle of Ai? Have you not promised us the land? And God tells Joshua that uh, basically somebody in the community violated or or broke God's command and not keeping any of the spoils for war. And so then they they find out, Joshua finds out, and the community, you know, does something to test and and determine that it was Achan. And and Achan himself actually comes forward and says, yes, it was me. And as a result of Achan's sin, the people, Joshua and the people stone Achan to death. And then they are able to have victory over I after correcting the sin of Achan. Another kind of similar story is in Leviticus 10 when we learn about Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu were Levites, they were priests, uh, who were the spiritual leaders in Israel, and they were the 
ones who were responsible to making all the sacrifices. And Nadab and Abihu offer a sacrifice in a way that was against the law, uh, in a way that was against the, the law and the stipulations uh, of the covenant that, that God made with Israel. And so God strikes Nadab and Abihu down uh, and they die in Leviticus 10. Now, what are the similarities between these stories? What, what do they have in common? Well, in, in each case, we have the instance of an individual who committed a sin and whose sin was so egregious that the proper response for that, or the proper consequence of that was death, was physical death even in that community. But also, in each case, we see that the sin of the individual was not only individual sin, but had to do with something that was greater than them, had to do with the corporate people of God. In Achan's case, it was all of Israel who was taking over Jericho. It was all of Israel who was commanded not to keep any of the spoils of war. And so, though it was an individual, the the whole people was held accountable to that. And Nadab and Abihu, it was the same way that they were offering sacrifices on behalf of all Israel, not just themselves, but all of Israel. And so, their sin had to do with community. It was bringing their individual sin into the community. Another way that we can kind of think about this and understand the severity is that these individual sins, and let's focus now on Ananias and Sapphira, their individual sin would lead others in God's community to fall away. Uh, They were bringing in deception. They were bringing in lies. And so one issue is that other people may then turn away from God and start to follow Satan, start to follow this, this way of deception. And so when we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the story is not telling us how the church should respond to the sin of lying. And now the text does not explicitly say that they are unbelievers, that Ananias and Sapphira are unbelievers, so we cannot say for sure. Uh, and commentators are either splits and they will either say we don't have enough information to say that they were unbelievers for sure, we're not true believers, uh, or some commentators will go so far as to say that we are confident that Ananias and Sapphira are not believers. Uh, I I think there's enough in the text that probably warrants that conclusion. Again, the the Christians, the people of God, the church, were filled with the Holy Spirit. But Ananias and Sapphira are in this context set up against them. It's a clear juxtaposition to where the Christians were filled with the Spirit, but Ananias and Sapphira was filled with Satan. And because of this, it's best to understand Ananias and Sapphira not as Christians who make a mistake and commit this sin of lying, but rather that they are unbelievers led by Satan, infiltrating the church, threatening the community of God with deception and deceit. So therefore, the the primary sin for which Ananias and Sapphira are killed for is that they brought deception, wickedness, and Satan into the covenant community. It's that 
they were, or Satan at least through them, was trying to lead others astray, or possibly even that they were trying to lead others astray through their sin. Now, what might God be teaching us today through this story? What might God be teaching us today? I don't think the primary thing that we should learn from this passage is that lying is wrong, (laughs) Uh, or that God will strike us dead for lying. I don't even think the primary thing that this passage is teaching us is that we should be selling all of our possessions to provide for one another. But I think the main thing that God is teaching us through this passage is how special the church community really is. I think the main thing that this passage is teaching us, that God is teaching us through through this passage, is how special the church community really is. The church, as in the global church, is God's people. It is the bride of Christ. And we, as an individual church, are one part of that global church. We are truly God's people. We are truly the bride of Christ. God himself, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. God is here. He is moving. And so what we have here is not, what we have here as a church is not just another social club. It's not a group or an organization of people built around the same beliefs. It's something special. We're God's people. We're we're God's covenant people, where God himself is dwelling among us. And we have this mission, you know, we're not simply just God's people to, you know, internally be ourselves, but we are ambassadors of Christ, that we are to be God's representation here on earth. And and so that we, you know, go out and, and we spread the gospel and we share that message, which is another reason, you know, kind of to go back to what we were talking about before of why Ananias and Sapphira's sin was so serious because it threatens that sort of message of the church. Uh, But but anyway, God is teaching us that the church is something really special. The church is something really special and it's something that is so, you know, holy in a sense, holy meaning set apart for God that a threat to the church in the first century in Ananias and Sapphira was enough to warrant their death. And so even now that this church is still something that's special. Is the way that we view church at Crossbridge and CBCGB, do we view the church both you know, us as individual members and us as a corporate church, do we recognize the sort of specialness of what the church is? Then another question I think that we could ask is, do you think that Crossbridge exemplifies this sort of spirit-filled community that we see in Acts 4, 32 and following and the, the sort of spirit-filled community that the threat of Ananias and Sapphira kind of intervenes in. I don't think the main thing, again, 
of those passages that, that we should learn is that the church, that we should be selling all of our property and giving it to the church. Uh, though I, I will say, I think that the passage is teaching us and is stressing that a spirit-filled community, the church, should be caring for one another's spiritual needs and physical needs. So we can ask the question, how are we doing in that regard? You know, I think there are definitely many stories where we can point to where we are doing very well and caring for one another's needs. But I would, you know, use this as a reminder to say, you know, we are in a difficult time right now. Some of our needs may be physical. Some of the needs of our members, of our brothers and sisters may be physical, or it may be more emotional. And so, you know, this covenant community, this church of who we are, we need to be together. We, we need to carry on and love our brothers and sisters as they struggle with the hard times as well as be with them in, in the happy times. So we need to exemplify this sort of spirit-filled community. And I think another way or another thing that we can learn from this text is our understanding of sin. Now, the, the first application of, you know, being the spirit-filled community, of recognizing the specialness of the church, it's not very controversial. You know, that, that, that's a good message, you know, do better at loving one another or continue on in your loving one another and caring for one another. But in the second area, it's a little bit more challenging. Uh, understand the severity of sin. Do we recognize sin to be the serious and harmful thing that it is, especially when it's sin in the church? Now, to clarify, I don't think that we should be killing people in the church because of their sin or anything like that. But I do think the fact that this couple and others have been killed in a similar context because of their sin should lead us to believe that sin is a very serious thing. And that sin within the context of the church is even more a serious thing. I had said before, you know, for many of us, that church is like a family. But unfortunately, not everyone, not for everyone is church like a family. And that may be because we have been hurt by the church. Now imagine when we sin against someone in this church community, how much greater, how much severe the potential consequences of that sin is. Or when unbelievers come into our community, when we spread the gospel and we sin against them, how much greater is the weight of that sin? You know, it, it's no longer just that it's, you know, our individual sin. But when we sin in sort of a, a church context, we can actually push people further away from God. And so my heart breaks when I hear of stories of abuse that has happened inside the church. My heart breaks when I hear of stories of harmful things like gossip and slander that happen inside the church. Because it's not only that it's just, it's that sin, but it's that in the church, 
and God's covenant people in this community, people are being hurt. And so the result is that our sin could push people further away from God. And even more so severe is the consequence of sin when it's inside the covenant community of the church, when it is a leader in the church who commits such sin. Think about how it pushes individuals away from God and how it affects the church witness. And so I think this passage to to give two applications is that it is teaching us how special the church is and is teaching us the severity of sin and especially the sin inside of that church community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your church. Lord, we pray that as Crossbridge that we would be your people, that your spirit would fill us and that we would act as you have called us to act, that we would love and care for one another as you have called us to. Uh, Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. So help us in all of our ways in which we fall short. We pray in Jesus' name.